Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. My name is Abby Norman, and I started attending this church a couple of years ago when I knew I needed to make a switch, me and my family, and I told God in no uncertain terms, I am tired, I am raising two small children, my husband is in PhD, I am teaching, you're going to have to give me a very clear sign. And that week, God laughed at me, and Eastside put out their sign, like their actual literal sign. And on the way to Target, I found this place. And I say all that production to me. <laughs> to give I later interned here and then began seeking ordination. And now I pastor the church down the road, New Hope United Methodist Church. And I still serve under Tim. He serves as my mentor, and this church serves as like the big sister church to New Hope. So don't ask God for a sign is what I'm saying. <laughs> Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this space and this time. We thank you for your word as hard as it is to receive some days. We thank you for your sense of humor and the way that you reach us, even despite our hard hearts. Would you speak in me and through me and despite me as we seek to follow after God? Amen. Well, our text today is from Luke 14, verses 1, and then verses 7 to 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you is invited. And then the host who invited both of you may come to you and say to you, hey, give up your place, and then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. No, when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friends, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to 
Well, if this scene from Luke were a Friends episode, it would be called the one where Jesus made it all really awkward. (laughs) They say that this is a parable, but I am not totally buying that. I mean, I guess it's a parable in that he uses a particular setting. He says, let me tell you a story, right? When you get invited to a fancy banquet, they happen to be at a fancy banquet already. There were times when Jesus told parables, and I'm sure the person that he was speaking to missed it. Missed that he was the angry farmer or missed that he was the bad guy in the parable. But I'm not so sure that anyone could miss what Jesus was saying. Jesus was just giving some really good life advice. Jesus basically stood up and said, hey, y'all, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And I think that that maybe didn't go over so well. I wonder what happened after he said all this. Like, is there a reason that it just ends there? Because like everyone was like, okay, we're going to go home now. That was weird. Dr. Mitzi Smith, who teaches at Columbia Theological Seminary in New Testament, talks about this text. She talks about how Jesus is interacting with the same people who we tend to think of as Jesus' enemies. But clearly the relationship was more complicated than that because here they are having a banquet and inviting him. Here they are, after last week, being told that they're wrong. Still, they are interacting together. And can I tell you that in the age of unfollowing on Facebook, (laughs) that that part really got to me this week. That that was the piece that I would rather ignore. Like, I like hanging out with people who think like me. I like hanging out with people who think that I'm right. Can I tell you how awkward it is to hang out in Atlanta when you are an Emory student at Candler School of Theology preparing to be a pastor? I started getting really vague about it at the dog park. People would see me, and I would be having my book open, and they would say, oh, what do you do? And I would say, oh, I'm a graduate student. Like, please stop there. They never stopped there. They're like, oh, where do you go? Oh, I go to Emory. Please stop there. Nope. Oh, what are you studying? I am studying religion. Why would you do that? I am preparing to be a pastor. Didn't you know churches are dying, right? They either like went for it, they like went right after it, or then they would just be like, oh yeah, uh, my dog's over there, I'm gonna, bye, right? I don't know if they were like afraid I was gonna like be like, yes, I am studying for religion. And also like here is the four steps to Jesus. I'm not sure like what they thought was gonna happen, right? But they didn't hang out with religious people. And I knew that. And so I kind of tried to keep it on the down low. 
because I don't want to have those awkward conversations. I want to go to the dog park and talk about how cute everybody's dog is, right? I want to get coffee with my friends and we can talk about the ways that we agree, the ways in which we see the world in the same way. And here, Jesus is not doing that. Jesus isn't afraid of an awkward conversation. (laughs) He likes them. And he bothers to have a conversation with these people. And I think that those awkward conversations are because he loved them. I think that we overestimate our own comfort in relationships and underestimate the ways in which we are called to be iron sharpening iron. I wonder if we don't miss opportunities to be changed because we are unwilling to say to our friends, our neighbors, our siblings, the people that we are eating with, hey, the way that you're behaving is probably not okay. And I'm saying this in love. I'm saying this because I don't want to see you wreck yourself. But friend, you're headed in the wrong direction. And we can see that Jesus is doing this. And I also wonder about our capacity to hear that from a friend. Can we hear that from people who are different from us? FYI. The way that you said that was hurtful. This thing that you didn't mean to do is definitely causing harm. I know that there are people in this room, at this table with Jesus, who were not ready to hear that. Who could not hear that they were doing it wrong. And I know because I have been that girl. Sure, that my way was the right way. And I could not hear the gift of being corrected. But Jesus doesn't just stop with correcting the people who are sitting at the front of the banquet table in hopes that they would be the ones who would receive the reward. No, he also called out everyone who is missing from the room. And I think this is the thing that keeps me following Jesus. Jesus always knows who is missing from the room. Jesus always wants to invite more people. At Candler, I took a very intense two-week class with Dr. Greg Ellison. If you know Dr. Ellison, you know that everything he does is intense. But from 8 to noon every day for two weeks, we talked about serving people who are different than us. And Dr. Ellison constantly asked us to check our prepositions. Not only did he want us to know who was missing, he wanted to ask us, and how are you going to interact with those people? How are you going to interact with them? 
Less than two years ago, they appointed me at New Hope. A congregation that has been there since the early 1800s, it's been in the building since 1932. And according to the research that I've been doing, it's been struggling since about the 1950s. And every few years, a new pastor would be appointed. And every few years, this pastor would come in and two weeks later would have a big vision for the church. This is how we're going to turn it around. See, these pastors were pastors to the people. They were not pastors for the people or with the people. Jesus sees who is missing, and he doesn't say, hey, so you should really go out and bring your leftovers and make sure they are well-fed. Jesus says, maybe we should prioritize those people next. He said also to the ones who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return. Jesus is not about the, pre, the quid pro quo life. Jesus wants more from us. They call it class stratification. I was reading about it this week. Friends, it is only getting worse. Then last night, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I found a tweet that like perfectly encapsulated what we're talking about. Someone was driving through Berkeley, and someone had put out a sign in their neighborhood. It said, no matter who you are, you are welcome here. You are our neighbor. Y'all, the average price of a house in that everyone is welcome neighborhood was $12 million. <laughs> but aren't we like that? Like, I so wanted to be like, busted, that guy is horrible. And the Holy Spirit was like, Abby, can we talk about you? I was like, no. <laughs> then I was like, fine, right? Here's the deal. We love to say that everyone is welcome. We love to say that everybody can be our neighbor. And sometimes we mean like anyone we happen to run into, anyone who already works within our circles. All of the social sciences are telling us that the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and that socially we are moving further and further and further apart. And Jesus, in his own day, already knows that this is happening and is preaching against it. Class integration is weird and awkward, y'all. I know that to be true. I know that because I have a weird ability <laughs> to be friends across class, and it is hard to tell your friend, hi. I know we're new, and this is like a new and fun friendship, and also, like, I have to keep rejecting you and your invitations to go out because I cannot afford it. Please come to my house for cheeseburgers. That's horrible. I don't know if anyone else has had to do that, but it's really hard. 
And also, it makes the other person feel weird and awkward. (laughs) Because they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize, right? It hadn't occurred to my friend that I couldn't just drop 50 bucks on dinner. I know because I keep making mistakes at New Hope. Most of my people are poor. I mean, I could call it something fancy and more comfortable for all of us, like socioeconomically disadvantaged or... um, don't have under-resourced, right? They don't have a problem with the word poor. They already know they're poor, right? And so it is so interesting to me the ways that I forget that, like that it's hard for them to get rides places, like that when I go with them to the social worker, suddenly all of our answers are, bam, handled, just because I'm standing there. And I look middle class. Suddenly we are prioritized. And can I tell you that these are truths that I don't want to face? Instead, I would like to put my happy sign in my happy uh, front yard and be like, everyone is welcome to my house. Done, check, did what I needed to do. Thank you, Jesus. Hashtag blessed, right? No, Jesus is asking way way more of us. Everything in us tells us to be with people who are like us. Everything in us tells us that comfortable is what we should be seeking. And Jesus tells us that we're missing out. And then Jesus invites us, not so gently, (laughs) into a better way. And I think that we all know this. And I think that we need to be real about the fact that lots of people have said no to this. Read through the Gospels and find the times where Jesus says to people, yes, you can follow me. Here's what you need to do. And they leave brokenhearted because they won't. And they know they won't. And I have some questions for us as we start to think about ways that we are prioritizing the comfortable over the ways that would change our hearts and our minds. Is it worth being wrong? Being wrong is horrible. It is the actual absolute worst right? I mean, I hate it. I hate being wrong. And I run my mouth all the time. So I am wrong so much. It's awful. It doesn't kill us. And I can tell you from experience that it gets easier, right? Being wrong is awful. And it is so worth it. It is so worth it. I was in my 30s before it even occurred to me to ask the question, did what I learn about homosexuality, is that really what the Bible says? I was wrong. I was so wrong. Thank God I was wrong. 
That led me to pulling the thread. So what I learned about personal responsibility, being like the only thing that God cares about, is that right? Oh my gosh, you guys, it's wrong. It's so wrong. Is how I learned to read the Bible the right way, it was wrong. It's what I learned about women the right thing. That was wrong. Thank God I did not have to change. I didn't have to put myself in the little box. I did not have to because I was wrong. And it's okay. D.L. Mayfield wrote the book. I just lost it. I knew this was going to happen. She wrote a book and she calls herself the world's worst missionary because she's never converted anyone. I love it. She was called to be a missionary and she was sure she was going to go overseas and instead she ended up in refugee communities in the United States. She was just wrong, wrong, wrong. And her heart is changed. She hangs out with her neighbors. And they feed her. And then she tries to feed them. And they're like, oh, no, thank you. So good. But she understands the world better. She understands where her joy comes from. Everything about what she thought was happening on that journey was wrong. And it's worth it. Being wrong is worth it if discovering that you're wrong brings you closer to the glory of God. Is it worth the inconvenience? Y'all, our lives are busy. I know. I know they are. I am currently working two jobs. I know our lives are busy. Shannon Martin wrote in Falling Upward about her experience. She had this perfect life. I started following her blog when it was called Flower Patch Farm Girl. She had like this farmhouse, had all these big fields, and she would take all these pretty pictures. And it was so great, right? And then God was like, I would like you to give up all of that and go live in a poor neighborhood behind the jail that your husband is the chaplain at. <laughs> She's so mad about it. She's so mad about it. And also, it totally changed her life. And now, her husband is the chaplain at the jail. Her and her kids, they like go thrifting with their neighbors. They get interrupted all the time. People knock on her door and are like, hey, we really need a ride somewhere. This is why she doesn't have a traditional job. And instead, she knows her neighbors. She is with and in community with the poor. I can tell you for a fact that pastoring a poor community is really inconvenient. I am one of the few people at New Hope who has a car. Who even has a car? That is annoying. It is inconvenient. It means that sometimes on my lunch break, I run and get someone and take them to the appointment that they need to be at. 
It means that sometimes at 10 o'clock, somebody calls me and says, okay, I'm ready to go to rehab now, but the bus isn't running. It means that I'm often the only one with internet access or the know-how to do things like write grants or know who to talk to. Because of class stratification, it sometimes means I am the only person in the congregation that somebody at City Hall who isn't doing their job will even listen to. It is horribly inconvenient. And it has completely changed my life. It has completely changed my life. It is one thing for me to sit on my comfortable couch in my comfortable house, rail against class and race and gentrification. And it is another thing to spend three different weeks in a row praying that someone will be able to do things like clean out their backyard, or fix the flat tire on the trailer that has been out in their yard for weeks because our neighborhood is now suddenly hot and new and worth the investment. So, and I'm not saying all realtors are bad, but certain realtors have decided to call code enforcement on my people who have been renting in the same place for 25 years every single week until their landlords can no longer afford it and they sell it out from under them. I mean, I knew in my head that those things were happening, but now I'm talking about Miss Brenda, who makes me laugh, Miss Simona, who has spent her entire adult life raising Fidel, who loves to pray and happens to have Down syndrome. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? We pray fervently for miracles at New Hope because we need them. And yeah, it's inconvenient for me to have to hop in my van go pick up my kids from school, and then run down to City Hall, but I sure as heck am going to do it. And I'm grateful for these people, for the ways that they have taught me. Finally, I want to ask the question, is it worth learning a new way? Is it worth learning a new way? Very many of you sitting in these seats are like me. You have been a Christian since before you knew what that was. You hit all the sticker charts in VBS. You know the verses. You get it. And Richard Rohr says that if being a Christian is a religion, then it is a really cheap way to go. That Jesus is asking us to upend our life and our lifestyle. That Jesus is saying, I know that the world is telling you that you should climb the ladder, but I am here to tell you 
that that is a lie. That it's not going to get you where you want to go. And it's not going to transform you in the ways that God wants to transform you. There is a reason that the Jeremiah text about God reforming us is in the same week as this text. God is longing to give you the transformation that you are desperate for. God wants to do that. Jesus is begging you for it. It will not happen by reading one more book, by going to work one more week, by learning something in your head. That's not how any of this works. I wish it was. I mean, I have a master's in divinity. If that's how it worked, I would be changed. No. None of those classes at Candler have changed me. The way that walking in to a youth prison every single week for a year changed me. I don't know. I am not sure if I ever met Jesus at Candler School of Theology, but I know I met Jesus at the Youth Detention Center. Is it worth learning a new way? Is that worth it to you? Do you want to experience resurrection? Because at the end of this passage, Jesus says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. I am completely convinced that Jesus is not going to make us wait hundreds of years. The resurrection is available for us now. The new world and the new way is waiting for us. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to you? Y'all, we are desperate. We are desperate for a transformative experience. We know there is more out there. We can feel it. And the world will always try to sell you something that will make you a little bit better and that will never, ever get you where you want to go. Jesus says that doing better just so you can get a little bit more is just a blatant lie. It's a fool's errand that will likely lead right into humiliation. Jesus says solidarity, not competition, is where it's at. Then and now I am convinced that Jesus is among the poor, the outcast, those the church has rejected. I am convinced that Jesus is with people. The world is going to tell us are never enough, are not worth our time. The ones that people have told us do not matter. Jesus is inviting us to join him there. We have to decide if it's worth it.
Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.